2: There's something wrong. It's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV. Attack it and validate it. Remember, that's what you told me. It's time, Robbie. Welcome to the next Best Picture podcast. Moonlight Best Picture. Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome to the Next Best Picture podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia, and joining me for this very, very special episode recording, it's our one-year anniversary celebrating Next Best Picture. I have Michael
1: Schwartz. Happy birthday to us. Isn't there like a second line to that, <laughs> Michael? I think you. have well, a f- I was told I wasn't allowed to sing full songs in this podcast anymore, so we're leaving. It I to thought the line. we. I
0: thought we invited you to sing full songs in this podcast. I thought we requested. Yeah, you're you.
2: the one that said I'm not going to do it.
1: <laughs> we'll save that for next best karaoke coming soon.
2: Oh man, we're going to have lots of callbacks in this episode. I feel like to previous times on the podcast. Uh, with that said, also too, you might have heard him just now. That is Will Matherly. Hello, everybody. All right, gentlemen, gentlemen, gentlemen. We made it a full 365 days. We are recording this on September 2nd and on September 1st of 2016, we officially launched Next Best Picture with Marayed for the, the original trio here the three of us. And you know, there's a lot of reminiscing uh that we're going to do on this episode. We're going to also review the trailer from Mark Felt and also talk about what's going on on the festival circuit. Answer some fan questions talk about last week's poll and this week's poll as well but the first thing I uh, just want to bring up just to commemorate this uh, milestone for us is do you guys remember our first episode last year our review was The Light Between Oceans
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh god what a film Alicia Vikander really likes that Labor Day weekend Mm -hmm. (laughs) oh god
0: something tells me that she did not see Tulip Fever getting released in Labor Day 2017 when she shot that, though.
2: That's true. That's very true. Um, and I also saw that recently, and it's. Um,
0: oh, you saw it? Yeah. Uh, oh my God, I'm so it's, sorry,
2: man. It wasn't the worst thing I've seen this year. I'll say that it's a it's a two out of ten movie instead of a one out of a ten for <laughs> me. Let me let me tell you that much. But it's it's pretty bad.
1: So you didn't like it as much as Alicia Vikander's mother's friend. No. Who called Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> oh,
0: I saw another... Oh, Matt, were you the one who posted it, too, where Harvey Weinstein was having, like, Jody Picoult and a couple other authors give their thoughts on the film because he couldn't get yeah. critics? All yep. of this nation's most acclaimed authors have seen Tulip Fever.
1: Ah, And he goes, they're not saying it's Citizen Kane or Shakespeare in love. No.
0: And it's, it's, it's like, uh, it's the new thing. Cause when river did that too, they're like Dennis Lehane and James Patterson say the following about, you know, like
2: it's bizarre. That's like a new phenomenon. I guess now it's like, well, if we can't get critics to say it, I guess we'll get offers to say it because they are the next, uh, people whose opinion is like I suppose we trust in this world. <laughs> it's like, you know, if people are gonna put their money where their mouth is and say or at least uh maybe not money where their mouth is that's the wrong analogy (laughs) people are going to uphold what it is that they're saying about how we made this movie for fans and not for critics they should totally put fans reactions on the fucking posters
0: (laughs) yeah what Cuckboy 420 from reddit say you know
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah that would go great that would be great imagine you just get like one that just says alicia vikander is so hot in this movie (laughs) (laughs)
0: I mean, honestly, actually, that's happened before. I don't remember what film it was, but, like, two years ago, if you look carefully, uh, all the quotes in the trailer are
2: YouTube comments. Really? I'll have to find it, but I know for a fact it exists. Damn, that's crazy. Um, You know, it's amazing, too, because um, I remember not particularly liking The Light Between Oceans that much. Like, I was kind of split in the middle. I think I gave it, like, a 5 out of 10 or something like that. But I rewatched it once in the last year, and I actually liked it more on a rewatch.
0: I mean, it's not actively bad. It's just also not very good.
2: Yeah, I think that had maybe some expectation behind it, and I think that's why I probably liked it more on a second viewing. Because I, I'll tell you this: the, the the third act is atrocious. I really don't like the time jump. I really don't like where the story goes and the makeup.
1: Oh my yeah. god! Yeah.
2: Oh man. That was rough.
1: Yeah. Now, I like that movie. Uh, Maybe not as much as I did a year ago. I was just maybe riding a wave of hype or something like that. But I still think it's pretty decent. She's good in it. Fassbender's good, of course. Uh, Rachel Weisz was very interesting in that.
2: Oh, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. You know, it's amazing how our um, first year also happened to coincide with what is probably been the most memorable Oscar season of my life, I would say. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, you know, I would
0: say ultimately the – I wouldn't say the season itself was that memorable. It was just the climax. So it did – we did – we were here for the most memorable Oscars, but like I would say the season before and the season before that were a lot more wild because we. it didn't feel until the very end this year like we had a race. Whereas the two years before, you know, the spotlight big short Revenant battle and before that Boyhood versus Birdman. And actually before that, Gravity versus 12 Years a Slave. You know, and I think that's why obviously this was so shocking this year because it didn't feel
1: like there was a race. It seemed like it was going to be a clear cut. We were predicting like 12 wins for La La Land.
0: Yeah, and we predicted La La Land pretty much from like this time last year onward. So, yeah. But we, we came in for the most memorable Oscars, certainly, of my lifetime.
2: Definitely. Uh, I have a first fan question here. We got quite a bit of uh, fan questions this week, and I want to just personally say thank you to all the fans that continue to write into us, continue to provide us with their feedback and their support. They vote on our polls. They send comments in on the blog. I mean, like, you guys are... Absolutely the best, and we thank you so, so much. Um, to quote uh, the movie The Omen, it's all for you. Ooh, I don't, I don't like that. <laughs> whatever, whatever. These connotations, you're inviting a Kathy Bates
0: in as one of our fans now. I don't know if I want that.
2: But also, too, um, I want to just also say to our amazing eight contributors here at Next Best Picture, uh, 169 podcast episodes, 259 movie reviews, and 501 podcasts. Blog posts over the course of 365 days, um, from the bottom of my heart to the, both of you and the others that are listening right now that have helped to contribute to Next Best Picture over the course of this last year. Thank you. So, with that said, the first fan question comes from Kyle at K Bailey Java Two on Twitter. What was your favorite moment of the podcast over the last year? Discussion, funny moment, or in quotes, fight.
1: Mm. Oh wow!
0: Um, I liked when Michael kept classifying things in genres that clearly were not the genre they belonged. (laughs) Subgenres. Yeah, it, well, you, you know, like it culminated with him preparing, with Matt preparing to kill him, until Michael revealed he was joking. He's like best action film of the
1: year, La La Land. Do you
2: oh, remember God, that? Oh God, yes! Oh my God! Oh, <laughs> the NPP Film Awards. <laughs> Jesus that Christ! That movie had a man
1: riding a bicycle
2: oh, over a freeway. You know, God. as much fun as those were, I dreaded those almost every single week oh, they simply took so because long. I thought I was going to. Reached through like my digital, com- you know, computer landscape, and somehow my fist would come through Mike's computer and just clobber him in the face. I, <laughs> oh my uh, goodness! And then wait a minute—he he might be listening right now, Mike Vermet Still to this day, the thing that I remember so much about that was him claiming that La La Land was his number one favorite comedy
1: of the year. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love La La Land, and I love Mike, but I don't know if I can yeah, get on board with that. Yeah, those last
0: 20 minutes are fucking hilarious, right? I yeah. remember
2: I went to uh, Schwartz, and I was like, Michael, I need you to tell me your favorite—it was it was action hero or superhero film. So I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this broad, <laughs> you know? And I remember—tell me if I'm wrong— I think your choices were Ghostbusters, Hidden Figures, and Sully. That sounds about right. (laughs) Oh, God. That's not the definition of what I was asking for. And
1: I stand by them. They are heroes.
2: I'm not going back to this. I'm just not. It's in the past. I've moved on. I've forgiven you. I've absolved you of all your crimes. And this is where we are. (laughs) I'd say my favorite moment. I, I have two. I have two favorite moments over the last year. Uh, One was when Michael finally revealed to us on the show that he saw Logan and that he actually liked it. Um, And my reaction might have been the most genuine reaction I think I've ever had on the show because I just – I think I screamed actually. (laughs) Yeah, and I almost fell out of my chair uh, because I couldn't believe that – I couldn't believe actually, Michael, that – that you liked Lo- Logan more than Wonder Woman, actually. That was the thing I think that surprised me the most.
1: Well, here we are.
2: Yeah, because Logan is, like, so not your movie, but I think because it's so much not a superhero film and it's more of a Western that is deconstructing the superhero movie genre much in a way that, like, Unforgiven did for the Western genre back in the early 90s. I, I think that, like, that's why people have responded to Logan so
1: much, I think, over the course of this year. Well, it's funny because those comparisons are sort of what turned me away from it in the beginning. I'm not a huge superhero fan, and frankly, I'm not a big Western fan. So when people were saying it's more of a Western, well, that didn't really do much to sell me on it on that side. So I pretty much stayed away from it in theaters, thought I'd catch it at home, which I did, and I'm glad I saw it.
2: Yeah. The next one we got to get you on is we got to get you to see It Comes at Night when it comes
1: out on... uh like Blu ray or something, I'd consider that it's a short movie, right? Yeah, that's it the, is, it's not 90 a long minutes one, or something.
2: It's, it's, I would say it's, um, it's not even like a horror film, so to speak. It's more of a, a drama between two families that you know just reaches boiling points. <laughs> I, I, I actually think Michael would like that. I think
1: yeah. that, as we move in this new landscape of having things premiere on Netflix or uh, whatever streaming service, that's the type of movie where I actually would feel more obliged to watch it if it were at home rather than like get in the car drive up to the theater find a yeah. the seat and do all that yeah like you don't always want to make the commitment for that type of thing if you it's not reaching out to you to begin with
2: oh wait i, I gotta I also mention my uh my second favorite moment of the whole year um if you got if i could like step out of my own body and like look at me um, as I was recording some of these podcasts, I w- don't think I will ever get the image out of my mind of me with my head down on my desk, my hands over my face, and listening to you guys talk about how La La Land was going to just steamroll everything, and then me saying stuff like, yeah, I guess it is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, Why is I this know. happening? I don't understand. Fucking Moonlight, guys. And, you know, it's like, I just remember like feeling so... Not depressed, but like, I, I, I just was upset that I felt like Moonlight was just being tossed to the side, you know, and so oh, the elation and the joy and just the overall feeling of that movie uh, pulling it out in the end. And uh,
0: and you fucking stuck with it, man. Even up to our final uh, predictions episode with Marshall Flores,
2: you were just like, but what if? And we're like, fuck off, Matt. It's not going to happen. I know because all the signs were like there. Sometimes, sometimes there is a point where gut instinct does come in with predicting the Oscars. You just feel it in your gut.
0: I felt that way about Spotlight. Like, you know, like, Spotlight had the statistics against it, but I was just like, it's going to happen. It's going to
2: happen with Spotlight. Yeah, and you would have beaten me because I was predicting The Revenant that year.
0: Uh, well, we can go back in time, I guess. Uh, yeah,
2: right. <laughs> I, I've
0: got one more moment that just killed me, which was when uh, Matt started crying. He was laughing so hard because Josh and I kept making fun of, like, Palpatine Stewit on the air, so we were doing, like, the, ga- <laughs> the Game Grumps thing. We were like, Stewit. Screw it. <laughs> I knew it, you know? <laughs> and and matt literally started crying on the other end because
2: we kept these going it went on for like five minutes straight that was a beautiful i'd, I'd never heard that before but just the way you guys were saying it and how you seemingly were finding new ways to like <laughs> say it too was the thing that just kept on getting to me
1: <laughs> i think one of my favorite moments from all of this is actually one i'm sorry to say this matt that caused a little bit of pain And that is every time I praise Beauty and the Beast.
0: (laughs) Ah! We 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 still hate that, Mike. That causes me pain, too. I'm in so much pain right now. Right
1: now, it it is September 2nd right now, and Beauty and the Beast is still my second favorite film of the year. You're fired. Get off the show. I adore it with all my heart. It's coming to Netflix in a few weeks. I can't wait. So, actually, it's coming to Netflix around the same time La La Land comes to HBO, so that's just going to be like a Michael Schwartz marathon weekend.
2: If you were a real fan, you would have bought it on Blu-ray months ago. Exactly. I don't buy
1: Blu-rays. I don't buy movies anymore. (laughs) I go on vacation.
2: (laughs) Mike, I respect that. And it's funny, because I don't go on vacation because I buy buy Blu-rays, so there you go.
0: I prefer what Mike does. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Uh, All right. Kate Bailey Jotha, I really, really do appreciate uh, that question that you sent in there, because... Oh, it's so nice to just think back on all that we've been through over this last year. Do you guys remember when the Oscar season ended and how sort of distraught I was that I felt like we were entering into like this lull period where like, virtually nothing was going to come out? We weren't going to have like anything to talk about.
1: It goes by very fast, though, yeah. because like March, you're still on the high from the Oscars. April and May, you're prepping for what? The summer season is going to be, and then the summer, there's like a new release every week, and now here we are in early September.
2: Yeah, and you know, I was very, very, um, I was very impressed with just how spread out things seem to be this year in terms of, you know, I would say like the worst time of the year was probably January, February in terms of new releases, and then once you got into like march and you had uh films like logan thing you know you have stuff like beauty and Isle, the beast <laughs> the big sick uh, the, that movie that michael likes you know it's just you know it seemed like there was something to definitely always talk about and i always and i kept having this feeling that i didn't think we were going to um but here we are and you know we're 54 episodes in now you know so i mean it's very impressive and it's very heartwarming to see and I'm just very very proud of it all together.
1: Plus we should also note that we had Next Best Theater with our great co-hosts Nicole and Dan Yes, and we're still doing Next Best Series Yes! You know, I mean,
2: Will and I decided to uh, review all of Season 7 of Game of Thrones, and that wrapped up recently. Uh, We're also going to be having an upcoming episode predicting the Emmys, and then another episode where we will also talk about the ceremony itself.
0: I have a friend who's working the ceremony, which is pretty cool. My girlfriend's roommate is actually working the Emmys, which is pretty sick. No idea if she's allowed to talk about them, but... On air, but I'm gonna try to make that happen.
2: Good for her, I guess. <laughs> that's cool, right? <laughs> I, I, I. If hey, listen, if I'm not there, do I care? I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, but that's how I feel right now about all of the film festivals that are happening right now. That's for oh, sure. Oh yeah, I'm sorry, Matt. I, I am. I'm very disappointed that I cannot be at all of these festivals. But I'll say this much about the film festivals. Do you guys know how much I would grow gray hairs if I had to choose between two screenings happening at the same time? I don't think my I don't think I would be able to handle it, because I know last night people had to choose between seeing Lady Bird or Darkest Hour. <laughs> And while eventually they would get to another one, you know, at some point, it's just like, that's, oh, that's so tough.
1: (laughs) The nice thing about these festivals, though, is that they play more than one. So if you miss it on one night, you have an opportunity maybe the next day.
0: Honestly, though, when I went to Sundance, like, I was there two weeks. And at the end of the day, it's still hard to finagle everything. And there were films I had to wait like seven months to see. So, you know, it's... Not always. I think Matt could leave a situation like that, having
1: his sanity chiseled away. Just completely gone. <laughs> <laughs> You're like uh, Cape Blanchette at the end of Blue Jasmine, just sitting on a park bench, wondering yeah. what's happening.
2: I want to um, continue with the fan questions right now before we dive into the festivals, actually. I know that would be normally a perfect segue for me, but um, I, I definitely want to get to everybody's questions, because we do have a lot to go through here. Uh, Toby Hill asks, uh, and this is kind of like a game almost. Um, if Best Picture was a straight 10 on the sliding scale for the last six years, so from 2011 on, uh, which films would fill up those slots? And I, lo- I love this question. I-, I will always continue to answer this question, even if we get this multiple times. Um, because to me, I think about this all the time. Oh, same. You know, t- 2011 is The Artist The Descendants, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close to help you go. Midnight in Paris... Moneyball, the tree of life and war horse so which film do you think would have gotten in uh, for the 10th slot if it was 10
0: obviously the girl with the dragon tattoo because it had every single guild you know dga pga wga uh it got in against the odds the best actress nomination for rooney mara and it won editing i think like that's that's a clear choice right there
1: yeah
2: i i agree I do, I do definitely agree with, with you on this for sure. Um, this was a year of nine, so I think that would have been it. I would argue, and correct me if I'm wrong, I would argue that the next slot uh, right below that is either one of two films. It's either Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy or, and bear with me on this, it's A Separation.
1: Mm. see i could see them a little further down but after girl with the dragon tattoo i would say bridesmaids yeah it
0: did have it had sag it had uh pga you know wga i i have to go with mike with mike on this one actually in okay in the system that gave us district nine in the blind side it would have given us this too
2: Well, it's very interesting because in 2012, we did have a foreign film actually nominated for Best Picture and also ended up winning the foreign language film category. So we had Argo, Amour, Beasts of the Seven Wild, Django Unchained, Les Miserables, Life of Pi, Lincoln, Silver Linings, and Zero Dark Dirty. That's an awesome year. Oh, I love that year so much. Once again, a year of nine. Um, This was, yeah, this was pretty incredible. Uh, all the films that were nominated for Best Director ended up getting their films into Best Picture I man, I would have to say The Master
1: oh, I disagree well, actually n-
0: believe it or not uh, Matt, I think under the system that would give us 10 nominees that favored films that didn't necessarily have to get a certain Sky number of votes yeah, I think it would be Skyfall Yeah, because Skyfall had the PGA
1: Sky, Skyfall got most of the guilds like It also had five nominations and two wins.
2: Yeah. Yeah, okay, Skyfall. You're right. Skyfall.
1: Should have been in there. Yeah, it probably should have, actually. (laughs) I love that movie. It's fantastic. Should have won Uh, some photography.
0: God damn it.
2: Next year in 2013, 12 Years a Slave, American Hustle, Captain Phillips, Dallas Buyers Club, Gravity, Her, Nebraska, Philomena, Wolf of Wall Street. I could make an argument for... I would say Inside Llewyn
1: Davis. No, because that didn't even get a screenplay nomination. What about Blue Jasmine? That's what I think, Blue Jasmine.
0: Like, because it, ha- it had the screenplay nomination. I think it got PGA, did it? G- it did. It, d- it got PGA, yeah. I, I believe it, it did. Best and Sally Hawkins got that surprise nomination. Yeah,
2: I-, I would probably go with that. What about, I, this is going to sound insane. What about Frozen? No, absolutely not. But riding the wave that it had that year, that momentum was huge.
1: Well, if it were still under the system from like 2009 and 2010 where Up and Toy Story 3 got in, if there had been a little more of a push behind it, I could see that happening. Okay. But uh, it wouldn't be out of the question.
2: No, yeah. Yeah. All right. Now, this is going to be good because this year we have uh, two now. So 2014, Birdman, American Sniper, Boyhood, Grand Budapest Hotel, Imitation Game, Selma, Fury of Everything, Whiplash. First one, right off the top of my head, Foxcatcher. Right. You got
0: everything except picture. It had fucking director. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It would make sense to say Interstellar for the next no. one because it had nominations. No, it but, would but, but, make but, 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 sense. I'm not going to say it. No, it underperformed.
0: It underperformed. No, it didn't
2: really. It got all
0: the texts it was supposed to get. Yeah, it, but like, I mean, underperformed throughout the season. And Hoytie didn't get in for cinematography. Um, what I think like the two films that consistently overperformed in all the guilds were Ex Mahina and Nightmare. Wrong year. That was the next year. Oh right, right, right. Nightcrawler. Night Nightcrawler was twenty fourteen though.
2: Nightcrawler would not have gotten it in if Jake Gyllenhaal would have been in Best Actor. I would have said Nightcrawler. I'm telling you, I I think it would have been Interstellar. I'm not. I'm not kidding. Mm. I mean, what else are you gonna put up there, Mister Turner?
1: I I almost want to say Mister Turner, but it missing screenplay is a little weird.
2: Right. Um. I would I would have to go based on the strength of the. Of the text, you know? What about Wilde? Maybe. Wilde got what? Wild got two acting nominations and that was it. And
0: right? it got a
2: screenplay.
1: No-, no, it missed screenplay nomination. Yeah. No, but it did get Laura Dern, which was yeah. a surprise.
2: Yeah. So, okay, maybe Wilde. Uh, yeah. I still think the case is stronger for Interstellar. I know that that movie not fantastic, but I it had its supporters. So, uh, 20, 2015. What What a, a freaking year this was! Spotlight, Big Short, Bridge of Spies, Brooklyn, Mad Max, The Martian, The Revenant, Room, Ex Machina, and Carol.
1: Well, this is easy. Carol and Ex Machina.
0: Yeah, but if it, yeah, and probably Ex Machina because it had that surprise win. But there's also an argument to be made for Straight Out of Compton, which uh, I, had
2: you know what I was really gonna say? You want we want to talk about uh, an argument that needs to be made? The fact that people within the industry were willing. To try and make Star Wars a Best Picture nominee is insane.
1: It wasn't far off. But, like, the
0: whole Critics'
2: Choice thing was ridiculous.
0: Oh, yeah, That yeah. was
1: ridiculous, just because of the politics of how it I played mean, out. I it,
0: mean, it missed the PGA. You know, once that happened, it was fucked. But straight out of Compton, like, I, I'm gonna... I think over Ex Mahina would have gotten in, because it was nominated for original screenplay, got the SAG Ensemble nomination, got a PGA nomination, AFI nomination uh let's uh, showed up at a number of critics awards motion picture sound editors uh you know like
2: wga this was i, I think it would have been compton compton and carol okay okay and of course last year i mean we talked about this to def last year in regards to which film would have gotten in uh as the 10th slot because last year was nine right yes yeah yeah so last year was nine so i guess it
1: would be jackie maybe
2: I think we were all in agreement with him, Jackie. Yeah, if my memory serves me correctly. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, it's gotta be Jackie. Yeah, because you look at the nomination tally, and uh, there's nothing else that really. I bet you if it was like OJ, <laughs> 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 uh, freaking
1: OJ. Man. Remember when Scott Feinberg had that predicted? Oh yeah.
2: Oh dude, I, I love when people uh, predict stuff early, and it's like so out there and so ridiculous. But if they're right they get all the credit for being right, you know? Yeah. While most people like myself, I, I tend to play it very safe with my predictions. So, uh, all right. Great, great, great question. I really thank you. Trip for that down one. memory lane. Uh, this one comes from Josh Blumenkrantz at McBluser one, one eight. This question might even be better served for Michael, uh, specifically, which Oscar winner do you think deserves to be an EGOT?
1: Oh, okay. Uh, going mm-hmm. through the list. Believe it or not, Julie Andrews doesn't have a Tony, and that's all she needs to become an EGOT.
2: That is pretty amazing. That's actually wild.
1: She would have won, actually, but when she was nominated for Victor Victoria about 20 years ago, she declined the nomination because what? nobody else was nominated from her show, and she felt uncomfortable being the only representative.
0: I think that's the only clear answer. She should. Oh my God, that's outrageous. Yeah,
1: Julie Andrews. Uh, John Williams doesn't have an EGOT. He's missing a Tony. What? Barbara Streisand is missing a Tony. Martin Scorsese is missing a Tony.
2: Yeah, Scorsese should just go direct a play. I would
0: love a play directed by Scorsese. That sounds awesome.
1: If he were to do something with De Niro, because believe it or not, you know the movie A Bronx Tale that De Niro directed? Yeah. So he directed the Broadway version that's currently playing. Oh, wow. So if he has has experience, maybe he directs another show and Scorsese produces it. Sure. There we go. Ideas are flowing.
2: If Scorsese ends up directing a play, I just want there to be, uh, as part of the set, a, a movie theater uh, screen, like in the background, because you know Scorsese can't resist showing images <laughs> on the screen.
1: <laughs> you know, but if you go to Grammys, you have people like Viola Davis, uh, Jessica Lange, Francis McDormand, Liza Minnelli, Helen Mirren. Yeah. Wow. I mean, you just read a book, and there you go. Uh,
2: okay, this one comes from Matt St. Clair, Film guy 619. Which early bird, that's in parentheses, uh, quotations, driver. Which early bird performances this year do you think have the potential to gain traction this award season?
1: Holly Hunter.
2: I think that ship has set sail. I mean, unless if critics can bring her back. I, I you know, the unfortunate thing about the big sick is that it didn't do the box office it needed to do.
1: I think it did pretty well, didn't it? Hit like forty or fifty million.
2: Yes, but I, I know some people were expecting it to be a
0: true breakout hit and it's still like a hundred million or something i think it's still the biggest indie
2: success of the year so far but no get out is yeah yeah i guess get out is the prime example yeah so actually in fact daniel kalua is somebody that could could potentially uh get a boost from critics. For I feel the globes,
0: like. yeah, but I don't think he'll get nominated. I mean if we're talking about people who will show up but not get nominated, I mean Jackman will show up somewhere. He just won't get an Oscar nomination. Oh
2: yeah. People are definitely gonna go for Jackman. That's I think that's confirmed. Yeah. Pretty much.
1: Wait, so let's go back to Holly Hunter for just a second. You really don't think that's happening? I I still think she can get in. I have her in my predictions.
0: I personally do not When the film starts showing up in screenplay categories, it'll be like Grand Budapest and they'll be reminded it exists and i think that'll be enough to help her plus you could see her getting a random sag nomination and then everyone's like oh fuck we forgot about this performance and then it
2: yeah i'm just i just don't i don't see that okay maybe maybe 15% of me sees it happening because if the big sick does contend at the oscars for picture screenplay I almost feel like it needs something else. Otherwise, it's a complete bust.
1: I'm trying to think, what else did we have earlier this year?
2: Uh, Well, we said Jackman. We talked about Get Out. We talked about Big Sick. Uh,
0: Andy Serkis?
2: <laughs> I mean, so I
0: guess now's as good a time to mention it as any. We talked about this off air, but it's not going to go anywhere. But Fox is planning one of the biggest Oscar campaigns they've ever mounted for Planet of the Apes. And Circus is at the center of that they're going to push very, very hard to get that film attention this year. It will not be nominated for anything above the line, I don't think. But more power to them. I mean, if they want to try to get that nom for Circus, I would love to see it happen.
2: Yeah, if uh, to me, I hope that they don't view it missing picture as a defeat. If they can get Circus in, that is the win. Like, that is the... That is the win for them. That is the, the fruit of their labor, and so to speak. I, honestly, I like that film. I don't think it
0: should
1: be a Best Picture nominee either. No. No.
0: But, like, a circus nom would be very deserved.
1: Yeah, 100%. Oh, oh my goodness. I'm totally blanking on one that I should have named right off the bat. Mark Rylance in Dunkirk.
0: Yeah, I was thinking about that. I'm still not totally sold on that happening. And I think I as the season goes on and we get farther and farther away from Dunkirk more and more people are going to be like, huh. We shouldn't have piled on and eviscerated Matt Neglia because he said it wasn't going to happen.
1: You know, it, there are people bumping him out of, like, the top tier, like we saw Ben Mendelsohn last night at a Telluride make a play. So he might not be in that top tier contender slot anymore, but I definitely think he's still in the mix.
2: Oh, yeah, he's still in the mix, but he's not, he's not going to get the nomination. I, I still stand by this. <laughs> Until I see him getting in at... BFCA, SAG, and BAFTA, he ain't getting in. <laughs> so that's my that's my take on this. It's just too small of a performance from too long ago, and other contenders are definitely going to pop up. I just don't see it happening at this stage. Um, although, from what I understand, Lean on Pete uh, debuted uh, last night, and I heard Buscemi is not a thing.
0: No, he's apparently he plays just typical Buscemi's being a bit of a snarky asshole. Yeah, it's not it's not the type that's going to get a nomination,
2: you know, with that and the Glass Castle not getting the reception that it needed. Although Harrelson could still pull a Robert Duvall and the judge and still overcome those reviews and get in. um, That field is definitely looking thinner and thinner. So who knows? Maybe uh, what the hell is his name from uh, Will Poulter from Detroit
1: could really (laughs) manage to get in. Oh, that movie's roadkill.
2: (laughs) But hey, listen, you talk about something from. uh, Earlier in the year, that maybe is still within the top ten, top fifteen for an acting performance. I think Poulter will continue to be part of the conversation if that field continues to uh, get finned out, so to speak. So we'll see. Uh, yeah, maybe Cynthia Nixon for *A Quiet Passion*.
1: Maybe at uh, *Gotham*.
2: <laughs> yeah, I can see that happening. <laughs> but who knows? Any any other performances from earlier in the year, guys? uh i haven't seen
0: good time yet is there any chance patterson could contend i know he got oh he'll
2: get a critics not uh mentioned here or there uh his performance is quite good i think but it's not the type that'll make a dent in any of the big oscar or globe circuits or or no way same goes for aubrey plaza yeah career best performance from her but not getting a nomination
1: If we start to see uh, Sally Hawkins pop up for Shape of Water during Critics Awards, I could see them giving her recognition for Maudie as well.
2: Oh, yeah. For both performances? Yeah. Sure. That sounds like uh, something Los Angeles uh, film
1: critics could do. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because she's actually terrific in Maudie. And if she didn't have Shape of Water, there's a chance she still would be nominated for this. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) My Philadelphia accent coming out.
2: Yeah, and I don't think that would happen for Maudie. I think that film's too small.
1: Maybe like a Globe versus a Critic. Yeah, an Obscure
2: Globe nomination sounds about right, but not going all the way to Oscar, though. Uh, Al Robinson, if you could go to one Hollywood premiere this fall, which film would it be and why?
0: I mean, probably The Post, right? Because, like,
2: everyone in the industry is in it. I would go see The Post just for the Q&A afterwards. Uh,
0: Yeah, that too...
2: I, I think I might have, like, heart failure seeing all of that, you know, <laughs> star magnitude in the same room.
0: Oh, yeah. And not to mention the Q&A would be fascinating in this political climate right now. But, yeah, I mean, that sheer cast
2: plus
1: Spielberg, holy shit. Yeah, who could argue with that? Uh,
2: okay. Now, guys, I don't know if you remember. You definitely remember. What am I saying? Josh Parham sent in uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, this thing where he did like director swaps where if uh, directors directed other people's movies and it got some pretty good reactions from the fandom and this week josh parham sent in uh, another one again with swaps only this time it is with classic hollywood film stars in the role of modern parts so we're going to be picking between the film performance that you would rather see and we're going to have to imagine uh, the actor playing that role at the peak of their career or when they're younger or just the ideal version, I guess you could say. Okay? Let's do it. Are you guys ready for this one? This is going to be fun. So would you rather see Peter O'Toole as Daniel Plainview in There Will Be Blood or Montgomery Clift as Lee Chandler in Manchester by the Sea?
1: Peter O'Toole. Peter O'Toole, yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Peter tool. I mean, that that role is just so juicy, you know, and that role is just so ah, oh, it's like limitless in its possibilities of what it can give an actor. Sydney Poitier as Juan in Moonlight or Catherine Hepburn as Jasmine in Blue Jasmine?
1: Ooh, Hepburn, Hepburn. Yeah, Hepburn.
2: Once again, I think it has everything to do with the role itself, you know? Yeah. Because Juan is just such an understated role as portrayed by Mahershala. Um, Yeah, uh, yeah, Hepburn. Judy Garland as Mia in La La Land, or Ingrid Bergman as Gerda in The Danish Girl? Oh my
1: god, Judy Garland.
0: I I don't want to see anything about The the Danish Girl anytime soon, so I guess Garland.
1: (laughs) And what's really interesting about Garland is not only is that performance inspired by A Star is Born a little bit, but there are also touches of Scorsese's New York, New York, which starred Judy Garland's daughter, Liza Minnelli. Wow. That's Damn. what Damien Giselle says inspired uh, that romance.
2: Now, this one, this is interesting. Humphrey Bogart as Riggin in Birdman or Elizabeth Twil- uh, Taylor as Nina Sires in Black
1: Swan? Ooh, Elizabeth Taylor. Give me that. Uh, there's something
2: about bogart's
1: uh yeah but i'm also a fan of those big over the top performances and you know elizabeth taylor would do that performance like she would yeah. turn it up to 11 as they say she, she would be top. pretty
2: perfect i think in that too but i i love i love bogart so i'm, I'm going with
0: yeah that. i i would love to see bogey and anything that would be a fascinating role for like kind of past his
2: prime bogey that would be mm-hmm. yeah agreed of all the movie sets in the world, Edward Norton comes to mind.
1: <laughs> no, we're not doing this. You just had to do a long take through mine.
2: Betty Davis as Amy Dunn in Gong Girl? <laughs> Jesus. Or <laughs> Marlon that. Brando as Hans Landa in Inglorious Bastards? Oh, yeah, I don't know if Brando could have nailed the comedic nature
0: of that role. He's so intense. Uh, Plus, who else could do that besides Christoph Yeah, I, I literally, you know, Christoph Waltz has proved he, he's kind of limited since then. But I think he was born to play that role. I don't think anyone could have been Hans Landa other than him.
2: So I guess... Well, I mean, Tarantino wrote the role to be unfilmable. You know, he didn't think an actor could portray it. So the fact that he was able to pull it off is somewhat of a
1: miracle in in many ways i'm gonna say betty davis here yeah but i sort of want to change part of it going back to the tv show feud betty and joan i want to see joan crawford as amy oh jesus
2: oh man that'd be that would be a lot of fun but i i too am picking betty davis here because she's a little chillier i still to this day wonder what leonardo dicaprio would have done in the glorious bastards As was Holmes she Londo. supposed to
0: be what
1: i haven't yeah. heard
2: that that's bizarre Yeah, Tarantino wanted uh,
1: DiCaprio originally. Oh my god. I got him a few years later. Yeah.
2: Marilyn Monroe as Tiffany in Silver Linings Playbook, or James Dean as the Joker in The Dark Knight? Marilyn Monroe. I don't
1: really like either of those, but I guess Monroe. No one else. I say Monroe because in a movie like Some Like It Hot, not only does she show a comedic side, but she has a vulnerability to her that's necessary for that character.
2: Is Monroe... Playing this role as a brunette or as a blonde? Blonde. James Dean is the Joker. I just... I I don't buy Monroe in that role. I I think that would just take me out of the movie. I wouldn't be able to escape the fact that I'm watching Marilyn Monroe. You know what I'm saying? I wouldn't be able to see a character, I guess. I don't know. Um, Plus... James Dean was taken away from us too soon. I, I would have liked to have they seen both him work. just expand his range. Uh, yeah, I suppose. But Marilyn Monroe had, uh, I believe, more credits to her name than James Dean did, at least. Dean had what, like four? Like yeah, something total? like that. Yeah. So. Okay, you guys ready to review this week's trailer? Let's do it. All right, so this is Mark Felt, the man who brought down the White House. It is directed by Peter Landsman, who uh, directed Concussion. Tell the truth. (laughs) Sorry, I just had to throw that in there. uh, it is starring Liam Neeson as Mark Felt, aka Deep Throat, has a cast that also includes Diane Lane, Tody Goodwin, uh, Michael C. Hall, Tom Sizemore. I mean, just Bruce Greenwood. This is a very, very expansive cast. Let's take a look at this one.
1: Whenever the FBI hears a piece of
3: gossip or information such as, I saw so-and-so out with another woman, not his wife, we're supposed to write everything down in memos. All your secrets are safe with us. How long
0: have you been in the FBI? 30 years. That's a lot of information. I give you the guardian of the American dream.
1: Mark Phelps, fidelity, integrity, bravery. Ladies and gentlemen, the G-man's G-man.
3: What is it? You
0: better
1: get down here. Five men were caught early this morning in the Washington headquarters of the Democratic National Committee. Here's what we know.
3: The men who broke into the Watergate are not the end of this thing, but the beginning. no more interviews with White House people without permission. What? We put the investigation to bed in two days. The director of the FBI ordered the FBI to stop its own
1: investigation. The nation tonight is in the midst of what may be the most critical constitutional crisis in its history.
3: The White House has no authority over the FBI. We can at all. All this truth, I must be terrified of you. No one can stop the driving force of an FBI investigation. Not even the
1: FBI. What you're doing will bring down the whole House of Cards. Washington Post. This comes from classified FBI files. The White House has it and now you have it.
0: FBI agents have established Watergate incident as political sabotage.
3: There's a spy in the FBI. The White House is gonna sanitize the entire town. How high? How high does this go? What about the president? Is the president lying? They're all lying. There's a nickname for
0: you at the paper. Deep Throat.
2: Okay, general thoughts.
0: What do we think here? It looks more compelling than concussion, probably because, you know, when you take on the president of the United States, there are more legitimate stakes and threats to your life than taking on the NFL. Uh, so it feels more weighty. Uh, that being said, it looks like a solid thriller. I don't see it going anywhere near the Oscars.
1: Yeah, agreed. This looks very entertaining and informative. It'll be a great story to see on screen, just because it's so fascinating to begin with. But uh, I don't think it's going to break out of what we call the art house mold. Just play to this adult audience for a few weeks, and then just go to television.
0: Oh, you know what I do like is the. Uh, I mean, I, it may just be that this is exactly what it in fact looked like. But I like how it seems to me there's a visual all the presidents men reference in the parking deck that they're meeting Woodward and Bernstein in. Or I guess it's just Bernstein. You know, it's it's the same blue tint. It looks like the exact same parking deck they used for all the presence men. So that ma-
2: imagine if they, I uh, <laughs> just <laughs> imagine if they brought in a uh, freaking Dustin Hoffman and uh, Robert Riffin. They used a de aging CGI <laughs> oh, to make God. them look like <laughs> their younger selves. Oh
0: God!
2: Could you imagine how meta that would be? I would I would hate that. That that would take me out of the movie so much. Jesus Christ. I'm going to be the one to say it on this show. I, I think this is going to be dull, predictable, and boring.
0: Well, we know how it ends, and we've seen this story told already, and then we'll see it told again. I mean. But I
2: think these films are very tough to pull off because you almost need to create drama from a scenario where nobody was killed and it's all through, like, threatening and, you know intimidation, and it, it to me, I think that the, runs the risk of the drama feeling manufactured because it's a movie and we need it to have high stakes, and it could just come off as hokey. Yeah, they kind of do that with Spotlight.
0: Where in Spotlight, you know, like, they'll come after you, and then the you just, the phone rings, and there's nothing
2: on it, and they hype that yeah, up. That's, that was actually my number one complaint about Spotlight, actually. Yeah. That is my number one complaint. They build it up, and then nothing happens. Like, that scene where um his son is going down the street, or, no, no, he realizes that down the street, uh the like, the pedophile lives, and he, like, gets frantic, and he runs back to the house and stuff, and it's like, I don't know, just to me, that's not the most compelling thing i guess maybe because there really isn't life or death stakes involved and there actually is no outcome to the drama you know what i'm saying yeah
1: but just the fact that it's lingering there isn't enough sometimes yes
2: um sometimes no for me i think that might just also be due to the fact that um my brain has you know seen so much in cinema and television where stakes are always life and death. It's always about life and death, you know, that when we get something that's just purely threatening, but you know, it's not going to kill them. It, 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 I don't know. It just doesn't ring as true to me.
1: Yeah. I mean, your mileage might vary with the type of material, depending on uh, what you know about history, how much you care about it. So it'll, 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 it'll be interesting to see what happens when the movie opens later this month.
2: Yeah, and I also don't think that Liam Neeson, as good as he probably is in this, I don't think he's going to be a contender either.
1: No, I don't think so. I'm sure it'll be a good performance. I mean, maybe like a 60% of Rotten Tomatoes type of thing. It'll have its fans. Does the Irish accent kind of like throw you off though? A little bit, but I think if you turn into the character, like you don't have to have every little mannerism down. As long as you're conveying who the person is, I think that could be enough
2: sure okay well that will pretty much just about do it there for our thoughts on mark felt Uh, i wish we had more to say but there really doesn't seem to be that much more to say i kind of do like the visual aesthetic though um i will i will throw that out there i do kind of like the the blue cold you know steel gray like you know what i mean cinematography that's on
1: display here and we just said the movie premieres at uh toronto so we'll hear some reactions within a week or so
2: Oh, yeah, 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 definitely. It'll be uh, coming up just before you know it. All right, with that said now, so we've answered some fan questions, done a trailer review breakdown. Uh, We should probably talk about this week's poll, actually. We should review the results of last week and then also talk about what's going on for this week. So,
3: Hello, everyone. This is J.D. from the In Session Film Podcast. Each week, we review the latest from Hollywood, California. Well, yes, Brendan. We also give top three lists. Okay. Yeah. Thanks again, Brendan. Additionally, you can hear us talk other movie news, trailers, varying movie series, or other interesting film-related topics, and even rants and raves of the week. That's correct, Brendan. On top of our main show, every Friday... You can also hear our extra film podcasts. Good job, Brendan. Thank you, JD. It's my goal to make you proud. You're the father after all. (laughs) Yes, and I'm very proud. Uh, You can listen to the In Session Film podcast on... iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or at InSessionFilm.com. Brendan, will you please let me complete just one... Nope. Nope. Oh, for heaven's sake. Listen to the In Session Film Podcast every Monday and Friday. Subscribe today and hear me verbally beat JD like a Cherokee drum. No, 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 no. That's not ki- how this works, sir. Hey, no, you, you, no, no, you no. go cry at Midnight Special again, oh, okay? okay? That's what you're I good will. for. I will. You know what? And I'll do it while pummeling you. I'll do both at the same time. How are you going to pummel me? Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't buy it that. That's just how it works. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, last
2: week's poll, we asked everybody uh, which was uh, the film that you were most looking forward to for this award season. We got the most amount of votes that we have ever received for a poll. I want to thank everybody for that. Leading the way with 16.33% of the vote. Anyone want to take a guess which film won the poll?
0: Blade Runner 2049. Nope. Star Wars. Nope. Last guess. Something of actual artistic merit. This is exciting. Is it call me by your name?
2: Nope. The readers have spoken and the number one film that most people are looking forward to this award season is Mother.
0: Oh uh, what? Really?
1: That's yep. a shocker. Mm-hmm.
2: That I wouldn't that wouldn't even be like my top five guesses. And then in number two with fifteen point one four percent just narrowly missing the number one was Call Me By Your Name. Uh,
0: see, that makes more sense. Goddamn,
2: I didn't know that many people were hyped for Mother. And then uh, in third place was Star Wars The Last Jedi. Where was The Post? Uh, the Post, The Post. The Post was tied for fourth place with the untitled Paul Thomas Anderson film. All right. Oh, and also tied with The Florida Project.
1: I think that one's going to pick back up in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I do when too. it Or actually next week when it screens at Toronto.
2: Uh, the films that got zero votes were, oh, Marshall. Mar- Marshall didn't get any votes. That's sad.
1: So Marshall is actually premiering at a festival, uh, not Toronto or Telluride, anything like that. I think it's uh, one of the African-American film festivals coming up.
2: Oh, that's cool. And we, al- we also had eight write-ins, too. Uh, disaster Artist got two mentions via write-in. Uh, we had write-in for Wonder Wheel. Wind River, which I guess that hasn't come out in their area or something. Uh, Three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Somebody wrote in Woodshock. And this this is my favorite one. Somebody wrote in Tulip Fever. No. (laughs) Thank you, everyone, so much for casting your votes on this week's poll and making it our most successful poll yet. I really do appreciate that. This week's poll, because the new uh, film... The remake, or I I don't know if it's like an adaptation or remake or what it is, but the Stephen King film, It, is coming out next weekend. So we're asking everyone for this week's poll, which Stephen King film adaptation is your favorite? And the choices that we have are 1408, Apt Pupil, Carrie, Children of the Corn, The Dark Tower, (laughs) The Dead Zone, *Dreamcatcher*, The Green Mile, Misery, The Mist, Pet Cemetery, The Running Man, Secret Window, The Shawshank Redemption, The Shining, Stand By Me. Edner is also a write-in option.
0: So, what are the chances the Shawshank Redemption does not win
2: this? Uh, I could see it not winning. I could probably see something like Stand By Me, maybe you know, winning winning the whole thing. Well, maybe
0: or The Shining, I guess. But let's not forget
2: that is the most popular movie in IMDb history. So yeah. Uh, anyone? Michael, I, I guarantee the answer is no. Anyone looking forward to it? Yeah, oh, I'm...
1: Wait, I'm absolutely looking forward to
2: <laughs> it. <laughs> what? I just short-circuited.
1: What? Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't know if we've ever talked about this on the show, but I'm doing some work in my community for the movie since the author or the screenwriter grew up here. No, that's, that's Annabelle too. <laughs> yeah, the same screenwriter. Oh, he did both? <laughs> yes, his name is Gary Dalby. It's
2: always about location biasness when for Michael.
1: Not only that, but it's getting excellent reviews.
2: Yeah, it is. It is. I'm very, very impressed.
1: Yeah,
0: but like The Witch got
2: excellent reviews and you didn't check that out. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Yeah, but this looks like more. The
2: Witch had nothing to do with Philadelphia, though, Will. Let's be clear.
1: (laughs) No, it has that suburban feel. It's like it's more tailored to my interests. Put it that way. Oh, my God.
2: Well, I don't want to upset your high standard interests. Oh, excuse Uh, me.
1: I'm a coastal elitist and don't forget it.
2: Any event, though, I'm still shocked and surprised that you're actually going to end up seeing it. Um, we'll oh see if, you'll, if you like it in the end, though.
1: I would have seen it regardless if it didn't have the Philadelphia connection. I've been looking forward to that for a while. So why the hell didn't you see The Witch? I saw The Witch. I saw it opening night. Oh, you We did? had this discussion.
2: I tend to forget about this with you. I we don't talked know. about it many times.
1: I gave it a B plus.
2: Yeah, we, we talk about this often, actually, and I always forget it with you. I don't know why. I think I... I don't know. You have
0: a stereotype of Michael Schwartz. I just have my, you know
2: what it is? I have my own perception of Michael Schwartz and it. it, it I've created my own reality. You won't let and the
1: facts just... get in the way. All right, Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> so in other words, Matt Naglia loves to stereotype. There we go. Yeah, there's there's enemies on both sides. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> mm, <laughs> Too soon. I know. It's terrible.
2: Piece of shit. Anyways. Anyways. They don't want to get political. We'll have plenty of time to do that when the political films come out this uh, winter.
0: Now is the time to announce the new spinoff, Next Best Primary. Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Actually, now we're going to just break down some of the news this week. As we know, the film festival's dropped, and there's a lot to really dissect from that. Uh, Will Mavity, why don't you kindly take us through what's been going on over the last week?
0: So before I get into the festival stuff, I'll just mention other news. Uh, Aiden Gillen, who has. Uh, everybody's.
2: Exited Game of Thrones?
0: Yeah, so a- a- Aiden Gillen has uh, departed from Game of Thrones, we'll say that. And his first big role is going to be, be, be playing famed author James Joyce in a film soon, which is kind of cool. Uh, John Bernthal, has joined the ever expanding and endlessly impressive cast of Damien Chazelle's First Man about Neil Armstrong. Speaking of great casts, Sam Rockwell will playing be playing W for uh, Adam McKay's Dick Cheney film.
1: Apparently, speaking of that movie, Christian Bale is a telluride and has gained so much weight that people were talking to him without knowing it was him.
0: That's wild. I saw Tapley wrote something about that. That's so crazy. Um, t- speaking of transformative performances. Apparently DiCaprio and Todd Phillips... Or uh, Scorsese and Todd Phillips want DiCaprio to play the Joker in one of the many upcoming horrible Joker films. Not so,
2: gonna happen. Yeah,
0: le- knock at all let's, let's hope not. DiCaprio will never whore himself like that. Uh, let's hope not. He's he, I think Tapley was the one who pointed out he's the last A-list star who's yet to join a franchise. So, uh, Paul Bettany has joined now Ron Howard's Han Solo movie, just after Michael K. Williams left. And then we have the internet getting nice and unhappy because the What Amazing News screenwriter and director team have announced a Lord of the Flies remake with an all-female cast, which was poorly received since the source material is supposed to be about toxic masculinity. And then finally, Ben Affleck is going to be starring in an Afghanistan war film called Red Platoon about the Battle of Kamdesh in 2009 with a uh, heroic staff sergeant, Romesha, who received a Congressional Medal of Honor rescuing quite a few people during the firefight. He'll be played by Casey Affleck. So this is their first team up together since Gone Baby Gone. Hopefully it's good. And then... Yeah, you know, like, he needs a hit. It's been a it's been a
2: very bad 12 months for him. Yeah, I know, but it, that just doesn't sound like it.
0: Yeah. He
1: needs to just reevaluate what he's doing.
2: Yes. So,
0: the big news, obviously, is that both Venice and Tellyride are going on right now. We've had The Shape of Water premiere to raves, absolute raves, praising my, uh... Everything. Sally Hawkins. <laughs> yeah, everything. Praising Sally Hawkins praising Richard Jenkins, Michael Shannon, praising the cinematography, the production design, the score. I think it's going to be a strong contender. The Academy may not overcome its genre bias to give it an above the line win. I think they could because it's kind of like a Beauty and the Beast sort of story. I think they're I think they might. I, yeah, I think it's it's going to be you know, like the way
2: things are looking, I see it being a top 3 contender at least. Oh, sure. I mean, the big question on my mind is right now Based upon – and I'm sorry I'm jumping ahead here, Will, but Darkest Hour also premiered yes. uh, last night at right as well. And Joe Wright got some tremendous notices for that film as well. I'm just very, very curious. Um, let's, let's imagine, let's assume Darkest Hour is your best picture frontrunner right now. Let's just assume that, okay? Through that lens, if Darkest Hour were to theoretically win best picture and Gary Oldman were to win best actor – Who wins Best Director right now? Christopher Nolan, Guillermo del Toro, or Joe Wright?
0: I would assume under those circumstances. I guess splits are no longer uncommon, but I still hesitate to predict them. I still think that something like The Darkest Hour or The Direction is flashy. By all accounts, it is, according to the reviews. I think Wright takes that as well. You know, like, because obviously not always but generally you see these splits when the best picture winner is not as flashy as what ultimately wins best director you know like Steve McQueen's direction is excellent in 12 Years a Slave but it's not in your face like Quaron's was and the same goes for you know a Spotlight versus The Revenant you know situations like that or yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll stick with those for starters. But yes. Yeah, so I, I still think under those circumstances it would be right in Darkest Hour. But we've talked about these raves for Darkest Hour. I will say Hollywood Reporter was more mixed, and I think some films, uh, some reviewers will be more mixed and find it too typical to give it the win. But the biggest thing is I do not think this film will ever win Best Picture because of the internet. Because the minute this film starts being in a situation where it is the perceived front runner, people start turning against it. And in this case, there is a ready made narrative to fuck it. And that is the fact that Winston Churchill was very, very, very racist. And, um, you know, oversaw some horrendous acts in the boer war etc., etc. concentration camps underneath him those things if it becomes a if it gets put in a front runner spot nowadays you're always going to get controversy if you're in that spot and that is what this film's controversy will be people will start remembering the things that they don't like about winston churchill and that will end up being enough to keep it from winning
2: i guarantee it hmm I I okay. Like that that was the most compelling argument I've heard you make in a while. Yeah. I'm with it. I'm with you on that. Shit. What do you think about that, Michael?
1: Yeah, well we've seen this every year where controversy comes to bite a film later on. So maybe not in best picture, even though at the moment it does have all the makings of a winner. Like a telluride premiere, released before December, a large cast ensemble that'll probably work well with SAG. Like on paper that all sounds about right, but then when you bring up any controversy in the future, we always have to consider that.
2: And also, you got to remember, potential nomination leader as well.
1: Even if it gets taken down in Best Picture, with Gary Oldman, I don't think any controversy with that would take away his Best Actor win.
2: No, I think Gary Oldman is the runaway favorite right now like i'm 80 confident that's happening yeah i agree and I, I think it'll stand
0: chance to win at least a couple texts too and get a lot of nominations i just i don't think it'll be our best picture winner because of the reasons to say it above but oldman unless he somehow fucks up on the campaign trail yeah i i think he's pretty much a given to win this can you imagine if bruno Del delbanel wins uh cinnamon's Tar- oh yeah Dickens? i thought about that that would be so goddamn funny uh, it actually wouldn't be funny, it'd be horrible, because poor Deacons. this is his best chance to win, but it would just be so absurd. It's, uh, he's been penciled in all year, and then he loses to just a, uh, you know, an acclaimed period piece again. Oh my
1: god. Well, speaking of cinematography, I think we have a pretty good idea of what that lineup's going to be, just based on uh, the festival and the summer. We have Blade Runner, Dunkirk, Darkest Hour, Wonderstruck, Shape of Water. I mean, there's a lineup right there.
2: Yeah, that is potentially a lineup. Um, Shape of Water is one of the ones I would say probably can get in. I think Wonderstruck is definitely getting in.
1: Oh, yeah, they're doing the Ed Lockman tribute at Telluride this weekend. They're really going hard for that. Yeah, the only other one I would say is also in contention,
2: obviously, is uh, Yanis Kaminsky for The Post. So oh, sure. that could bump somebody out, definitely.
0: Uh, and, and let's not forget that You know, in the event it is a big above-the-line contender, Phantom Thread, with PTA as the cinematographer, would be, you know, potentially that's one that could factor in... Uh, if Mother ends up being good, Libertick has been nominated once before, and I've heard that Call Me By Your Name has just lovely, lovely
2: cinematography. Yeah, but if the trailer is any indication, like, it looks well shot, I don't think it's
1: best cinematography
2: material, though.
0: Yeah, the, the trailer did not market it as such, but I'm, I'm not going to entirely write it out.
1: I think it's, like, different shots during montages of them, like, sitting together or riding bikes or See, things I like that. See, I think it's
2: more of a... Uh, Luca Guadagnino's of uh, I can't speak. It's Luca Guadagnino's um, establishment of mood. I think is what people are confusing with the cinematography. It's the feeling that you get while watching it. Based upon his direction, not necessarily based upon shot composition, lighting, color, et cetera, et cetera.
0: And hey, uh, you know, Matt saw the trailer for The Current War last night, and I think he's convinced that's going to be one of our contenders here.
2: Ugh, God. That dimly lit, odd angles, weird whip pans. Uh, that movie just looks gimmicky as fuck when it comes to how it looks shot. Um, I made a joke last night that, and you guys thought Les Rob had bad camera angles, um, no, it didn't. Oh, God. Michael. No, we're not, we're going to save this for another. We're not show. doing this again. I'm not I'm not doing this again. That Michael, uh, <laughs> that movie's horrendously <laughs> shot. We're not going to It's not horrendously It's horrendously shot. It's just... Oh, it's Oh it's... Jesus, okay. All right. That's right. cinematography Jesus, well... of
1: that here. Yeah, Michael,
2: here get uh, f- Skyfall. No. Skyfall, wait, wait, Michael. You just said it had better cinematography than, than Skyfall? Fr- Lincoln?
1: That was a great year, but something has to take the t- number 1 title.
2: You are out of your fucking
1: mind. We're, we're creating a, a new moment right up. now hey, for no, MVP in no. 2017. That was the only <laughs>
0: time that that worked, was doing the close But then they shot everything in close-ups. And it's murkily lit. There's unnecessary Dutch angles. You know, oh, God, it, handheld, shaky camp. Fuck, Michael, no. We
1: have to have a little controversy for a one-year show, don't we? Mm-hmm. Okay,
0: I, I'm i going to give Michael the silent treatment for a couple minutes. Uh-huh. Um <laughs> We also had Suburbicon and Downsizing screen. Downsizing got initial raves at Venice, but when it screened at Telluride, it proved much more divisive to the point that I think it's going to be a tech contender, but I think it'll miss out on
2: on a Best Picture nomination. I have it right now in Screenplay,
1: Visual Effects, and Supporting Actress. It's not going to get visual effects. No, like,
0: Tapley and Feinberg and pretty much everyone who saw the film said it's not a visual effects
2: contender. Okay, taking it out of visual effects then.
1: But Hong Chow is one to consider. I mean, she was an inherent vice in a memorable role. Yeah, I've heard
2: great things about
0: her. And
1: she's really going to break out here.
0: Yeah, in, uh she would be the first Asian acting winner, apparently, according to Sam Coffey, in like 60 years, too. In the event that narrative really worked out, which is pretty crazy, or female Asian acting winner, which is pretty crazy.
2: Mm. Well, and then Suburbicon, I heard, is also about uh, race. Yeah, something that the trailer did not imply whatsoever.
1: Well, it's inspired by a case that happened in Levittown, Pennsylvania, back in the fifties about a black family that moved in and all the tension that it created with this uh, suburban group who considered themselves to be liberal and progressive, and then they move in, it sort of blows up the neighborhood.
2: Yeah, I'm just very surprised
1: that the trailers hid this completely. Yeah, the reviews have been, I don't want to say mixed, but just a little more on the positive side, but tepid. You could say mixed, it's okay. No, I don't think they are mixed. I think from what I've read, people seem to like it, but it's not anything that they're writing home about.
2: I think they're trying to temper our expectations in terms of Oscar, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I don't think it does any Oscar nominations aside from maybe production design. But that said, I'm very much looking forward to it. I mean, who could resist a Coen Brothers screenplay?
2: Yeah, it's a good point. Anything else happen at the festivals this week or? I think those are
0: the only big ones so far.
1: Okay. We're going to have Battle of the Sexes this afternoon, so by the time this goes up, everyone will know how that did.
2: Mm. Watch out for Steve Carell, guys.
1: He's going lead, by the way. Oh, never mind. Don't watch out for Steve Carell anymore, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's going lead because they're going to put him supporting for Last Flight of Flying. Which is weird because
2: he looks like the lead in that.
1: So we'll see what happens there.
2: Yeah, okay. Well, I guess we'll move on from that then. All righty. Well, that does it for this week. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Yeah, man. I mean, every week we're going to have something really exciting to talk about. Um, I'm getting incredibly hyped for all the movies that are on the horizon right now. Um, I wish I was at these festivals. I really do. But New York Film Festival is coming up. I will be there for that. Michael, you're going to a festival, if I recall?
1: I'll be at the Philadelphia Film Festival for at least part of it. Mm-hmm. Will, anything happening out in L.A. for you? Uh,
2: There's things, but I can't necessarily talk about them on air. <laughs> ah, all right, then. Well, Michael Schwartz, this is the moment I've been waiting for. This is your opportunity to fight with me on the air. You can yell at me. You can say whatever you want to me right now. Is there anything that you want to say to Matt Neglia before we go off air?
1: Anything I want to say to Matt Neglia. Dude, my I think I want to thank Matt Negley oh. for giving me this opportunity over the past year to be a part of Next Best Picture. Should have killed him. One day. This is never going to happen, Matt. You're going to keep trying and trying, and I will remain as civil as possible.
2: <laughs> if anyone's got a career in politics, it's this guy right here. I'll tell you.
0: Hey, uh, you know... Matt was being civil too, Mike. I suggested that he and I just out of the blue start just yelling at you for this episode, just to see what would happen without any context. <laughs> Matt, Matt has agreed not to do that, so you you should be thanking him. You are a sick, sick person, Will. Did you enjoy the little clip of my yelling? I sent you as a preview for that, Matt. I I I
2: I need to know. If I can play it, yeah, you, you you are you are welcome to play it. I I I you know what I think I'm gonna do just that. I, I'm gonna play this for everyone. I hope my mic has the ability to pick it up. <laughs> Here is the uh, clip message that Mike uh, that will sent me the other day. I will fucking massacre you unless you give my client
0: what they want. I will put you up on a goddamn cross like Jesus Christ to die for your fucking sins! Do you understand me? And I will tie your testicles into
2: bowtie fucking pasta! You'll never work in this fucking town again! Jesus Christ, do you hear me?
1: Oh my, Will, you've been out in California, what, a month now? And you've already turned into Harvey Weinstein? <laughs> Yeah. Oh my goodness. Before I know it, you're going to be hosting Tool old fever screaming
2: I'm not going to lie. If Beauty and the Beast ends up becoming like a potential Oscar like nominee for like Best Picture, and I have no choice but to lay uh, that at the feet of Michael Schwartz, then that kind of a reaction might happen. <laughs>
0: I feel, like, I feel like Matt and I would both be very good yellers if we really teamed us up together, too. So, yeah, Mike, if it does anything good happens to Beauty and the Beast, we will excoriate
1: you. How about that? Well, I'm very scared for the Golden Globes in that case.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right, gentlemen, Michael, Will, thank you so, so much. Um, I truly love both of you nbp would not be what it is without the both of you and also to to the other uh staff writers and contributors to next best picture i also want to say a personal thank you to you guys as well so that goes out to matthew Garrell, david howitt josh tarpley josh williams tommy Barquinero, mike vermet and i think that is it god help me if i'm forgetting somebody right now
0: wait who is the guy who reviewed shitty films for you he would review all the bad ones
2: Oh, that's Matthew Garrell. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, I don't, let me tell you something. I don't know how he manages to see it. He sees more films than I do. I that is like an accomplishment in and of itself. So, kudos to him. Anyways, Michael Schwartz, where can I find you on the internet?
1: As always, you can find me on Twitter at Mike Movie. Will Mavity. You can find me on Twitter at Mavericks Movies. You can find me at next
2: best picture you can find next best picture on all of the social media networks thank you once again everyone for listening for a whole year and hopefully for many years to come you can subscribe to the next best picture podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Google Play, Stitcher, Player FM and also Castbox be sure to leave us a review on iTunes let us know what you think of the show your feedback is paramount to success of this podcast and of this brand we thank you so so much we will see you all next time